0: Welcome to the sermon podcast of Damascus Road Church. For more information about Damascus Road Church, go to damascusroadonline.com. This morning we are going to continue um, in our series in the book of Colossians. So if you guys want to turn to Colossians chapter 3, we'll be in verse 22 through uh, 4.1. Um, but before we get there, uh, next week is going to be Father's Day. And uh, we have been supporting uh, CareNet, uh, the <laughs> ministry here in Madison uh, that, that takes care of uh, women uh, who are uh, pregnant and need some assistance and some guidance around that. We've had CareNet come in a combined gathering and uh, tell us a little bit about who they are, tell us some of the stories. Um, about the women who have gone through their programs. And we've been supporting them through their baby bottle campaign that has been running from Mother's Day to Father's Day. And so next week, being Father's Day, I want to encourage you to bring your baby bottles in. And the goal for this year is for a combined total of $1,000 of support um, between uh, the two locations. And so I just want to encourage you to uh, be generous, to not just put change in those baby bottles, but maybe put uh, a couple bills in there, maybe maybe a check or two, for uh, some amount to, to help Karenette in the ministry and the work that they're doing here in Madison. And um, and so this week, as we go into the sermon, um, last week we have in this section of Colossians where um, Paul is talking kind of about the family. And we talked last week about husbands and wives and uh, how the wife is to submit to the husband, how the husband is to love the wife, and I normally don't do this. I normally don't like plug myself in any way, but um, I just encourage you that if you weren't here last week, uh, it's going to be up on the podcast uh, early this week, and I just encourage you to go back and uh, give that a listen and uh, give me some feedback around that if you'd like as well. So um, for the sake of kind of poetry, um, we're going to skip the part about fathers and children this week, and we're going to do it next week for Father's Day. And so this week we're going to move to the next section in Colossians chapter 3 kind of around the family where he talks about bondservants, slaves and masters. And so that's where we're going to be at this morning is Colossians chapter 3 beginning in verse 22 reading through verse 4. So if you guys would read along with me. It says bondservants, obey everything those who are your earthly masters. But not by way of every service, but not by way of i-service as people-pleasers, but with a sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily, as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive an inheritance for your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back the wrong he has done, and there will be no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you have a master in heaven. Would you guys pray with me? I do, Lord God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this time that we have to be together, that we get to open your word and learn from it, To learn uh, how we are slaves of you and how you are the good master who loves us justly and rightly and fairly, God. God, I pray that uh, you'd be with us in kind of our baggage um, around slavery and that you would heal that and that you would heal the slavery in our world and in our nation And God, that you would continue to do your work of setting the captives free, Lord. We love you and we thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. So I'm going to start this week again. This week, as we look at this passage, it begins with the word bondservant. And this bondservant by the ESV is kind of this pretty word that really means slavery. Behind the word bondservant is the word doulos in the Greek. And that word almost always means slave. And so To read it kind of rightly and forwardly, it is slaves obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. And to be honest, when I read this verse this week and I started to prepare for this sermon, immediately the cynic came out inside of me. Because when we look at the Bible and we look at God's word, what we find is not a condemnation of slavery. It's not there. It's not in the Bible anywhere where it says, thus says the Lord, you shall not own one another. It's not there. You can't find it. And there has been much, much abuse over this passage and the passages like it around slavery over the course of time that the cynic in me leaves me incredibly frustrated with Paul on first reading of this passage. Because as we've read in the past and as we've looked at further weeks, what we find is that in this section of the Bible and in this section where Paul is talking to the Colossians, he's doing something that's brand new. In every place where it appears to be one thing, a part of the old way, a way that's kind of archaic, he's doing something brand new like we saw last week with husbands and wives. But here, when I first read it, I'm like, what new thing is Paul doing here? Because it sounds like the old thing. Of course, slaves were required to obey their masters. And I got frustrated as I thought about slavery today, as I thought about slavery of the American past. And I was like, this passage, I feel like, does not go far enough, Paul is not going far enough if he's doing a new thing. And so I got incredibly frustrated because I was just like, man, we know that slavery is wrong. But then I looked at it deeper, and I looked at it deeper, and I found that there is a greater thing happening here, that Paul is still doing something brand new, and that he is moving us, and he is subtly undercutting the idea of slavery in the culture of that day. And so instead of hitting it head on, and creating all types of social aversion that would have disrupted the message of the gospel and undercut his credibility, he instead subtly begins to undercut it. And we'll we'll see how this plays itself out throughout history. And so what I want us to see is that Paul, in this passage, even though it seems kind of archaic, how it seems kind of irrelevant, how it seems like, man, this passage could have incredibly (laughs) massive abuses, that he's doing something incredibly profound, and transformative in his time period. And there is something for us to gain from it as well. And so as we dive into it, what I want us to see is that in the Bible, there are three different types of slavery that occur. The first type of slavery that occurs in the Bible is a prisoner of war situation. A country comes in, dominates another country, and instead of laying that entire country to waste and killing the men, women, and children, they would take some of those men, women, children, enslave them, bring them back to their own country, and they serve them as their servants. We know some of these passages in the Bible because Israel becomes enslaved to Babylon, and they are drugged off into exile. And so we have people like Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel, who are slaves, and they are slaves of this prisoner of war situation. The second type of slavery is this type of kidnapping, this type of kidnapping and selling into slavery. And this type of slavery has always been condemned in the Bible. If we go to Exodus chapter 21, verse 16, it says, Whoever steals a man and sells him, and anyone found in possession of him shall be put to death. Pretty direct, pretty clear. There's condemnation in this type of slavery. And this is what the American experience was this was men and women going kidnapping particularly men, kidnapping, moving these people, and selling them. And so anyone that uses the Bible to justify the American slavery experience is weak and does not do the background research necessary that the Bible is speaking of because the Bible speaks directly against this. It also speaks against it in the New Testament. In 1 Timothy 1.10, in this massive list of things that are ungodly, unholy, not to be Produced in a person that is a follower of the gospel is this word that the ESV renders as enslavers. We look at other verses or other translations, it says slave traders or kidnappers. And it has this connotation of the same connotation that Exodus was getting at, is that it is kidnapping people, taking them in as your own slaves, and selling them for your own profit and exploitation. And this is the same type of slavery that exists today with the current slave trade. And so I just want to be incredibly, incredibly clear as we read this passage and we talk about slaves and we talk about bond servants and we have all these ideas of American slavery and even the horrors of slavery today that's happening around our globe with women and men and children in impoverished conditions that this is not okay. And the Bible does not contone this type of slavery at all. If anything, it hears the cry of the oppressed and it calls for us to go in and save them. It calls for us to go in and save them. And we see in the Exodus story where the Hebrew people have been oppressed and they've become enslaved, how God comes in and enslaves them, and how God comes in and sets them free from their slavery. We see in Jesus Christ how we, how we are in bondage to our sin, how we are enslaved, that he comes to set us free from our slavery of sin and death. This type of slavery, where we have been kidnapped, where we have been held ransom, is always, always condemned in the Bible. And then there is this third type of slavery in the Bible. And this third type of slavery in the Bible, Bible, um, I think, is best described as indentured servitude. Um, And what this looks like is that you entered this type of slavery voluntarily. You went, you got into debt, say, you took on more than what you could and you couldn't pay back your master that you were in debt to, you had two options. You could either become enslaved to your master until the point in which you could pay off that debt that you owed that master, or you could go to another master, and you could ask him to purchase your debt for you, and you would go into slavery for that guy until you could pay back the debt there. This is what the slavery is that Paul is talking about in this day. And so that's why the ESV renders it kind of more lightly as bond-servant instead of slavery. But I just want you to know that the word behind bond servant is still always slave. And so you go into this and in it you forfeit all of your property because at this point you would have sold all of your property. You would have given everything away to pay this debt and there's still this massive amount of debt left. And so your only choice is to enter into this place where you become their property. Where you give up any type of rights that you have to your own personhood. And this type of slavery was incredibly, incredibly prevalent in Paul's day. It's believed that at this time in Paul's day, roughly about 50% of the population was enslaved in debt to someone in this way at some time. So about half of the population. This is a very familiar economic way of doing business. Because in this day, you didn't go and you didn't go and get a loan and then pay back the interest on that loan and do that kind of thing. Instead, the workaround to that was a literal workaround. You had to work around your debt. And you had to go and become enslaved around this. And this is the type of slavery, and this is the slave that Paul is addressing here. What I also want us to realize is that in this letter, Paul is also addressing the church. He's addressing this church in Corinth, not Corinth, in Colossae. And in this church in Colossae, there would be both masters and slaves sitting side by side, worshiping God together. And so this is why Paul addresses both the master and the slave who'd be worshiping and serving the same God together. And what we see in this letter of Colossians is that he is constantly challenging us to rethink and reconsider the intimate relationships that we have with the people that are around us. Because he comes along and he says, those who are in Christ, you are of equal value. And we're in this section right now where Paul handles husbands and wives, and he says they're of equal value, where we talk about fathers and children, and they're of equal value. And here he's saying masters and slaves, you are of equal value. So what we want us to see is that Paul is doing something brand new here. And so, back to the slaves, and a little bit more about the, what it was to be a slave or what it was seen to be, uh, to be like a slave in this period. To be a slave was to kind of be a non-person. And the masters at this time had this belief of the slaves that they were irresponsible people that were bound by their lustful passions, that they could not manage their money or finances well, and that they were incapable of having any type of moral Responsibility. And so they were seen as resources. And a master could do whatever he wanted to his resource when he was brought into slavery. Some masters were harsh, some masters were brutal, some masters were oppressive, no doubt. But some masters were kind, some masters were friendly, some masters were good. But in all cases, they were seen as this resource, as this non person. And Paul comes in, into this passage, where he's talking about husbands and wives, fathers and children. He's talking about the family. And in this place of family, he doesn't just end with husbands and wives and fathers and children, but he goes and he says, masters and slaves. He's bringing the slave relationship incredibly near. And he's saying, this relationship between the master and the slave is a part of the household. It's a part of the family unit. Your slaves are not your property, but they are family. They're to be taken care of, they're to be looked after, they are members of your household. He also then addresses the slave that's living in this household, and he says, hey, your identity is in this household. But he also gives them a moral responsibility, and that is to obey their masters and to work hard and to honor their masters with their conduct and with their behavior. This would have been something brand new at the time because like I said, they were believed to have no moral responsibility. And here Paul comes in and says, hey, guess what? You're a person. And because you're a person, you have a moral responsibility to obey. You have a moral responsibility to serve God. It was believed that their moral (laughs) incapacity was so great that they didn't have to worry about serving God or not serving God. They were just kind of in this gray space over here as non-persons. And Paul says, and he says, no, 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 no. You are a person. You are capable of obeying. You are capable of carrying responsibility and weight and doing your job well and honoring and loving and being a person. And not only just being a person, but being a person in Christ who loves and serves others no matter your situation, who allows the gospel of Jesus Christ to define you versus your circumstances to define you. So he says, Go to work. And honor your master. Work hardly and sincerely. And even more so, work for the Lord. And it says, who there is an inheritance from. That's a big verse for these slaves in this time. Because guess what? Slaves didn't have an inheritance. If a slave had an inheritance, he would have already spent the inheritance to get out of his debt. And so here the slave, he's enslaved with no hope, maybe for his entire lifetime. And Paul comes along and says, Serve these masters as unto the Lord, and in doing so, you will receive an inheritance from him. Here, Paul is saying, not only are you human, not only do you belong in a family, but you also belong in the kingdom of heaven, that there is an inheritance in Jesus Christ also for you. We see this level of obedience throughout the Bible, this obedience in slavery, There's kind of two different places where I think there are kind of massive (laughs) arguments where we see people become enslaved to even ruthless masters, but they serve the Lord and honor their master in it. And the first one is Joseph. Joseph is beaten by his brothers, thrown into a well, then thrown into slavery. He is of the kind of slavery that is condemnable. The kidnapping and selling for personal profit kind. The worst kind of slavery that's possible. Joseph is victim to this. And he's brought into Egypt and he's brought into Potiphar's household. And he serves Potiphar well until Potiphar's wife starts getting (laughs) kind of hot for Joseph. And then Joseph is like, sorry guys, can't do that. I need to honor my God. I need to honor my master. And so he gets thrown under the bus by Potiphar's wife. She's like, hey, this guy, he tried to do some things with me that's not okay. And Potiphar's sentenced him to jail. But Joseph remained pure and worshiped God and honored God even in those circumstances. And he continued to serve God well even in the prison. In the prison, God allows him to honor his masters by interpreting some dreams. And then he gets to honor his Pious master, the king, by interpreting his dream. And then God places him second in command. Joseph is still a slave. Joseph is still a slave. But he's honored and he honors God and he honors his master for it. The second place that we see it is Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're called to worship this God, these idols of Babylon, and they refuse. They're called to eat from the king's table, and they refuse. Daniel's called not to pray, and he continues to pray. He's thrown into the lion's den for it. God rescues him, and then he converts the king Darius because his God is that good, and his God is that powerful, and his God is that strong. And this is why the service is to the Lord and not unto men. And so in any place where the slave is being requested to do things that are ungodly or unholy or that would violate their conviction to God. He's not saying to obey that. He's not saying to obey that. He's saying obey your masters up until as long as you continue to honor me. And in honoring me and honoring your masters, I'm going to bless that. We see this in Jeremiah 29. The entire nation of Israel has been brought into slavery. I mean, the Bible uses this nice word exile. Exile just means it's language for slavery. It's slavery language. And so in Jeremiah 29, it says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles, you could also say to all the slaves who I have sent into slavery from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses, live in them, plant gardens, eat their produce, take wives, have sons, have daughters, take wives for your son, give your daughters in marriage that they may bear and have sons and daughters, multiply there, do not decrease. And then this is the significant part of the whole verse that says, but seek the welfare of the city Where I have sent you into slavery. And pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare also. But I want you to know that there's even more going on here than this. There's more than just Paul recognizing the slave as a part of the family, there's more than Paul recognizing the slave as a person. What Paul is doing here at a deeper level is that he is subtly undermining the system of slavery of the day. Because he includes them in the family unit. He calls them equals. He tells his masters that you should treat your slave with fairness and justice. And then when we go to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, what we find is that as Paul is talking to the slaves, he says, hey slaves, when you were called to Christ as a bondservant, Don't worry about that. And then he puts this aside in there, this weird kind of parenthetical aside. And he says, but if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself to the opportunity. Even Paul simply just slipping that in under the radar. And then he continues on with his his speech and his pattern of thought throughout there. But he just slips this aside in that says, hey, if you can get free, if you can work up to the place of freedom, take freedom. And that would be subversive at this time for Paul to advocate that the slave should take his freedom, or that could gain his freedom, and that if he had a chance for freedom or to honor his way to freedom, that he should do that and take that. He's slowly undermining it. He does it even more drastically in the situation of the slaveholder Philemon and Onesimus. So Philemon is a member of the church of Colossae. Onesimus would have sat, and Philemon would have both sat in the congregation in Colossae. Onesimus runs away from Paul, not from Paul, from Philemon. He's a runaway slave. At that time, a runaway slave, when they were brought back to their master, they had the word fugitive scarred into their forehead, just so everyone knew, just so we were clear. And the slave owner was able to do whatever they wanted to them to punish them for it. Paul writes this letter to Philemon. He's like, hey, I've got your slave in rest this. He's like, I'm gonna send him back to you. But when he gets back to you, You need to forgive him and you need to set him free. And this would have been incredibly, incredibly subversive back in the day for someone to suggest to a slave owner that their fugitive slave should not only be forgiven on their return, but should also be set free. And then Paul says, if he owes you anything left, if there's anything left that you want to charge him, charge it to my account. And by the way, I'm in prison. So it's not like Paul has a lot of money either. And what he was doing is kind of publicly shaming Philemon because the last thing you'd want to do is charge a guy in prison who's serving God. And he addresses Philemon as a brother. He says, Philemon, I know that you're a brother. I know you're a Christian. Guess what? Your runaway slave. He's a Christian too. He's your brother. You guys are same, same. He's actually doing great work for God. He's doing great work ministering to people. I would really love it if you'd set him free. I mean, if you're Philemon in this case, like, what do you do? Your hands are tied. He's like, but guess what? I'm going to send him back to you. And he almost says it in Philemon. He says, I'm sending him back to you so you can do the right thing. So you can do the right thing. And what we find is that at the end of Colossians, (laughs) Onesimus is listed as being with Paul. And so they believe that Philemon went through with it and that he gave (laughs) Onesimus his freedom. Paul is kind of subversely and subtly challenging this entire system. And this subversion grows. This subversion grows until the second century where Christians begin to see slavery, even this third type of slavery, which the Bible does not condemn, they see this third type of slavery as being non-computable. They're like, I've been called to love my brother. There's no slave or free. But yet here I am owning a person. Here I am treating them as sub subhuman. And so this, this subtle undermining of the slave system grows to the second century to where most Christians at the time begin to emancipate their slaves. They begin to set them free. Upon the conversion of the Roman Empire, most of the Roman slaves are also emancipated and set free because of this idea that there is no slave or free, that there's no Greek or Jew, that we are all one in Christ, that we have equal value. And so even though Paul doesn't come right out and say, end slavery, he slowly and subtly begins to chip away at the social structure while by focusing on the greater thing, and that is the hearts of men and the gospel of Jesus Christ working within it. But bigger than all of this, bigger than the slaves, bigger than the social progression that's happening kind of under the surface, this type of slavery throughout the Bible is this one massive extended metaphor. If you read the Bible in the New Testament, you cannot get away from slave language. You cannot get away from the idea that slavery existed and was prominent and people knew what it was and people lived it out. And what you can't get away from is that it becomes the metaphor of the day for Jesus Christ coming and saving us. When we go to Matthew and we read the words, well done, good and faithful. Normally you want to put in servant, right? Good and faithful servant, that's how we've learned it. The word behind servant there is doulos. It's good and faithful slave. Well done, good and faithful slave. Almost the 80 to 90% of the words for servant, slavery, bond servant, it's going to be this doulos, it's going to be slave. There's this other word, <laughs> di, dikanos which we get the word deacon from, which means to like serve in a way of ministry. But that's used only like 10% of the time. And so about 90% of the time when you come across this word servant, slave, bond servant, however they want to like pretty it up for you, it's going to mean slave. And this is why when Paul says that we should be careful on how we use our bodies, because what? Because there has been a, we have been bought with a price. We've been bought with a price, and that's why it matters how we use our bodies. This, again, is slave language. This is language where the Lord comes in and buys us with his blood the debt that we owe through our sins and where we become slaves with him. Our God is our master who has come to pay our debt and to set us free. I think Romans 6 summarizes this whole idea incredibly well. Romans 6, verse 20, says this. It says, For you were once slaves to sin, and you are free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting there at the time of these things in which you are now ashamed of? For the end of those things is death. But now you have been set free from sin and you have become slaves of God. And the fruit you get leads to sanctification and in its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Jesus is our Lord, and we put ourselves to his service. And he is worthy of of that service because he is a fair and just master who is humble in heart and who leads with service instead of oppression. Jesus is this master, unlike any other master of the time, who loves with grace, and service, and compassion. In Matthew, we see Jesus saying this about how we as Christians should live our lives. He says, you know the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. He's saying, you know the ways of the world are harsh and mean and cruel. And in verse 26, he says, it shall not be so among you. But whoever is going to be great among you must be your servant." And whoever would be first among you be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to serve but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This ransom money is slave language. This pay, this debt language. And it is this image of a master coming and serving and being humble and true is where Paul goes with his instructions to the masters. And so in Colossians 4.1, we get masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. He's saying, masters, treat your servants well. Treat them well. Bring them in as a part of the family. Treat them well because they are equal in Christ with you. They are not your property. Which again, undercuts the whole idea of what a slave was in their society then. And then he says, treat them well, because remember, you also are a slave to God. When he says, you have a master in heaven. He's saying, guess what? You too are also a slave. You too are also a slave. And treat them with justice and fairness, because your master treats you that way. Jesus is the image of the just master who loves us, who gave his life for us. And so we might be at this point of like, all right, this is great. We've got slaves. Paul's doing something new, revolutionary. Um, It's great. Jesus has come. We are now slaves to him. But what does this mean for us? What does this mean for us? And first, it means that we're slaves to Christ, that we are called to serve and love him with our lives. And this looks like every aspect of our lives, from our marriages to our kids and our families at home, and then out into the workplace. And if you think about it, if we take the, the slaves analogy, algae, which we can't really take it one for one, we don't have indentured servitude today, but the closest thing to indentured servitude that we do have today is our jobs. Because we work. And the reason why most of us work is to pay off our debts. So we say that we're enslaved to our debts. But guess who's paying our debts? The people that we go work for, I know you probably don't think about that that often about your finances, like whoever you go to work for, yeah, you're doing something for them, but in exchange, I mean, they're the ones essentially writing the check for the debt that you've consumed, the debt that we continue to consume. And so Paul is calling us, I believe, as Christians to go and serve our bosses well to serve where we work well. I love what he says in the verse, not as to eye service. Like, don't do well at work only when someone's looking or only when you're going to get praise, but to do it wholeheartedly, to put your heart and mind and effort behind it, to serve with sincerity and with goodness. And I know that there are some places and there are some environments that are toxic where our bosses aren't Christians, where our bosses don't treat us with respect, where our bosses even might even treat us with some hostility and with some oppression, Paul says, treat them well. Treat them well, serve them well, do your job well as unto the Lord. And what I love is that he says, Do what is right. He says, the wrongdoer will be paid back the wrong that he has done to you. So if you're in a place where there is toxicity and there's oppression, Continue to do what is right around that. The wrongdoer will be paid back what the wrong that he's done. He says there is no partiality. And what I think what's even cooler is that there might be places where your boss might ask you to break some ethical grounds that might ask you to do some questionable things. And in those moments, I want to encourage you to think of Joseph and to think of Daniel. And to think of these men who served their masters well, but lived with integrity and blessed their masters for it. And in doing so, by you refusing and possibly even standing up to your boss, possibly even losing your job, know that there's some hope, that there's some protection that you may be able to protect yourself, but also your boss for the wrongdoing that they're about to commit. We wonder how the housing market can crash and how these awful economic things can happen. And it's because so many people up the line just said, yep, 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 yep. I mean, there are people, peons, who are like, yeah, this is bad. But my boss said so, I need the paycheck, check. I mean, just think if we, as a people, rose up and said, no, this is wrong. Sure, maybe we'd all be unemployed. We trust that God would provide for us. We trust that the community around us would provide for us, that we would share everything in common. So we cannot let our debt become our God, become the fear that we serve. And instead, we need to go to our jobs and love it, enjoy it, serve it with our hearts. Love our bosses, even if they're the most unlovable creatures on the planet. Love our coworkers well. We need to begin to speak well of our coworkers. We need to start beginning to speak well of our bosses. We can't begin to k- keep receiving work and say, "Oh man, some idiot messed it up, and I got to fix it." Some idiot. I mean, what? If, I mean, there's probably somebody looking at your work and being like, "Some idiot." You know, you're taking the humanness out of it. You're degrading them. You're putting them lower. God says, "Do outdo one another in showing honor to one another. So Let's begin to show honor to the work that comes across their desk. Even, maybe, maybe they didn't try hard. Maybe they're creating more work for you. That's fine. Not your problem. It's in front of you. Do your work well. Do your work as if it's on to the Lord. Serve your bosses and your co-workers well. In this, the Lord is going to be glorified. I love this verse in 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy uh, chapter 6 says this. It says, Let those who are under the yoke as a bond servant or slave, in this place we could say employee, regard their masters as worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and the teaching of God might, be, might, might not be reviled. What Timothy is saying here is to honor your bosses. And in honoring your bosses, there's going to be opportunity for you to honor God. Your boss is going to be like, man, everybody on my staff treats me with disdain. And I treat you with disdain. But for some reason, you come in every day with a smile on your face, loving me, serving me, caring for me. That's going to speak to someone. That's going to cause somebody to pause. That's going to cause somebody to begin to ask some questions and where God can become to be honored because we've been called to love and serve one another no matter our circumstance. And so that's kind of the application, I think, from the slave position is that we've got to go and we've got to give it all we got because these guys are paying our debts. And more importantly, it's because our debt has been paid through Christ and he's called us to go and love. And so we go and serve our Christ in love. We serve our master in love. Finally, the master side. Now, not all of us are in upper management. Not all of us are bosses. Not all of us have people underneath us when we think about the workplace. But I would say that the question that we need to ask is where have we been given authority? Because I think we've all been given a level of authority somewhere in some place, whether it's over your home, whether it is over your workplace, whether it is over the way that you drive on the highways. We've all been given some level of authority. And the question is, is how do you use it? Do you use it to lord yourself over other people? To put yourself first? Are you overly harsh towards others? Because Jesus says, not so should it be with you. Not so should it be with you. Essentially saying, look, if you're going to be a master, if you're going to lead some people, if you're going to have authority over something, the first thing that you have to realize is that it's not going to be about you. It cannot be about you. And it needs to be about the ones that you serve. And the question that you should be asking is not how, should I, how can I get more authority and more power so I can rule and oppress more people, but it should be how can I serve? How can I lay down my life? How can I bless? how can I do good? I think the ways that we do that is we have to have eyes to see and ears to hear the needs of the people around us. And the best way that we can do that is for us to get it out of our minds that for some reason, some way, it's about us. So it's not about us. So as we conclude, I want us to focus on this idea of letting the peace of Christ rule within us that from this passage that we should see that we are all slaves and that we have an incredibly gracious master who loves us, who provides for us, who takes care of us like no other earthly master could ever dream or even accomplish. And that it's through serving him that we serve others, that we become a new kind of people, a people that are reconciled to God and to the earth people who have been set free from sin and death and you serve others by loving them well so that's my hope this week is that we would go and that we would see ourselves both as masters and slaves and operating out of both of those environments how paul has prescribed for us here loving and submitting to each other well would you guys pray with me dear lord god we thank you for this day We thank you for this time that we have to worship you. We thank you for this time where we are reminded that we are slaves of you. God, we are joyful slaves of you because you have canceled our debt and you treat us so graciously. You treat us so lovingly with so much patience, with so much humility. God, you say, come to me to find rest. What master invites rest? What well, master says that he is gentle and humble in heart and is willing to teach his slaves? God, would you teach us what it is to love you and to love your people? God, give us eyes to see and ears to hear, ways that we can serve and love those that you have put around us. That we would be subject to you, that we would make this world more about you and less about ourselves. God, give us grace as we go about this week and do your work.